about the number of slides. But uh, hey, thanks, thanks so much uh, for having me come and speak to you tonight. It's so good to be here. So good to see faces that are familiar. And I'm so happy you guys get to do this. I'm so jealous because it normally takes place way after my bedtime. I, I just want you to know, and I'm not joking, I go to bed at 7.45 every day. Uh, and I make a few exceptions, and I'm up at 4 o'clock in the morning. So you move Kai off at 4 o'clock in the morning, I'll be here every day. Just, but that's not going to happen. It's not, it's, it's not, yeah, yeah, it might be better, it might be better off, all right? It might no longer Kai off. Anyway, so what I want to talk to you about is... Uh, uh, do you all call him Rev, like the rest of us do? <laughs> Sorry. So, so, Rev, so Rev asked me to talk to you and was kind of talking to me about what it is you're all getting ready to talk about. And I thought, oh, cool. Let me just do a primer, an introduction on the topic, and it's to do with the kingdom of God. Right? And what is the kingdom of God? So why is this so important? Because there is a difference between religion and the kingdom of God. The greatest threat to kingdom thinking is religious thinking. And a lot of people f say they fall in love with Jesus, but they've fallen in love with religion. And they've not fallen in love with the message of the kingdom of God. If you remember in John 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and say, Master, Master, the things you do, they, they must be from God. What can I do to enter into the kingdom of God? Remember Nicodemus who came at night? That's why we get Nick at night. You know, so he says, what can I do? To be saved. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, lest a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. He didn't say he shall not have a great experience in this life. He didn't say, well, you know, you're not going to have a good life or you're not going to have good religion. Or you're no, he said, you shall not see the kingdom of God. And when you think about John the Baptist, John the Baptist, his message, if you go to the first slide, his message to John the Baptist said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? So he is talking to people who are religious already. He's talking to people who have the equivalent of PhDs in theology. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrins, all the religious leaders. These people were educated in the law. And here comes this guy who was eating locusts and honey and not well dressed. You know, I mean, just think about a guy who's got shredded jeans in, in sandals and with a hairstyle that looks like a toilet brush, probably hasn't, you know, you know, and I don't know, you know, just think about that. We all, we all went to school with that teenager, right? You know, he's got so many, you've got so much acne, his face looks like a sausage pizza. I mean, that's just, I mean, you know, but, but this guy comes in in your face and he goes, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so all these educated people in their robes and their clerical robes are looking at this guy and go, what is he on, right? But what, what they don't realize is what John the Baptist is saying is, listen, there's a new era, there's a new time. You know, gone are the days of yesterday where it was about this, it was about this ritual, this ritual, jumping through this hoop, saying this prayer loudly and acting this way. And here comes a new moment where it is about the kingdom of God or about the kingdom of heaven. So what John the Baptist was trying to tell them is, hey, guys, I want you to transition your mind from an old way of thinking into a new way of thinking. That's the greatest danger that we have on this planet. You know, religion is a bad idea. Think about the number of wars that have been fought because of religion. When you go to the Middle East, it's about religion. When you go to Boko Haram in the northern parts of Nigeria, it's about religion. When you go into Sudan, it's about religion. 
When you go into the Congo, it's about religion. When you go to India, it's about religion. I was in India. I was in Andhra Pradesh, and I was preaching amongst the... you know, so I had to watch myself so I couldn't eat meat because I was amongst the Hindus and we were preaching. And then I'm out there in the, in, 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 in the village and I start preaching and then the Muslims went up into the Emirates and they started, you know, blowing their thing just to try and drown me. I couldn't understand. I'm not trying to make fun of them. But they were watching. And as I started doing the altar call, they got down from their minarets and rushed towards me. I thought I'm going to die. And they came to me, not, not without my permission, and one of them grabbed my hand like this and did this to his forehead. Just like that, right? Religion was up there trying to distract, but when it's true, when it was a kingdom moment, people know when they taste the kingdom moment that it's something different, and they wanted me to pray for it. And we go back, so I'm, I'm, I'm in my host's um, house, and at night, and then here comes this Muslim man, man knocked at night. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm in more trouble. And he goes, Pastor, Pastor, um, you know, I had to come at night. Uh, This Friday, I opened a new motorcycle store. You know, they sell motorcycles. The motorcycles are like 900 bucks, right? Open a new motorcycle store. Uh, I would like you to come and bless my store. Can you do it now? We can't do it during the day. Can you do it now? So we got dressed up. Half time, I'm thinking maybe it's a threat, maybe, you know, maybe it's a trap. But we went anyway, and he goes there. He said, do your thing, please, 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 bless my store. And we prayed for his store, right? Religion. And that man experienced the grace to step away from religion into a moment where he tastes the kingdom of God, where he knows where the power is, where he knows where transformation can take place, where he knows where things happen. The greatest threat to to, to this generation is the spirit of religion. And the biggest counterfeit that the devil has to offer to those of you who are young is not, is not some form of spirituality, right? Uh, about 10 years ago, there was a survey, right, that if you mentioned the Holy Spirit to a teenager, you know, some of you go, Woo! but if you ask them to watch The Good Little Witch, everybody was okay with watching The Good Little Witch. Right? Everybody was okay with watching those type of movies that had spiritual things in them. But when you mentioned the Holy Spirit, you know, you faced so much resistance. You know why? Because the devil had succeeded in presenting a counterfeit to something that's real. And people got so used to that counterfeit that when you offer them something that's real, they cannot recognize it. And that's what religion is. That's what religion does. But the message of the kingdom of God is real. You know, I had, a, I had, a, I had a, um, my sister-in-law used to work in a bank, right? And I asked her, I said, you know, so many people just come and bank. How do you tell whether this is counterfeit? Because you can't be sitting there all day with that stupid pen and going, and going like this, you know, and going like this, you know. He said, you can't be doing that, right? I said, how? How are you? said, well, we're trained. I said, well, tell me the secrets. Wait, I'm thinking something profound. You know, most of us, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm looking at the dollar. I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe there's a mark there that the Federal Reserve puts that, that they don't tell us, but they tell, you know, I'm thinking, you said, well, no, we're trained. So finally she told me what we're trained means. And basically what she said is this, that in our training, we are put in the room with lots of real money, printed in different years, 
I'm, what's the point of that? You know, you know, what kind of training is that? Right? It's like, you know, even an athlete, you know, you watch film from the, from the other team, right? And you scout him. Oh, you know, so, so he's, and she said this to me. She said, yeah, here's the point. I said, if you get accustomed to touching what's real, the day the first fake note comes, you'll immediately pick on it. Because you're so used to hanging out with what's real. The problem with our generation is we've flipped it. We're so used to hanging out with what's not real. So that when the real is presented, we can't comprehend it. We don't take full advantage of it. Right? We've become so lukewarm. We've become so much like. This is what John the Baptist was coming to tell them when he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, 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 will enter the kingdom of heaven. So even people who say the right things, but if their hearts are not in the right place, if they have not been transformed, if they have not aligned their hearts with, the, with, with that of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to miss some folk. And so people like that, you know what they do? They try to get you and I to stop thinking about the fact that there is a hell. You know, you know, I brought up my kid, you know, my daughter got married in May, and I brought her up, and she always makes fun of me now when she said, well, Dad, what was all this nonsense about H-E double hockey sticks? Why don't you just call it, call it a spade a spade? There's hell. And there are people, some people are going to hell. You know, it's not a good, I mean, there's nothing I can do about it. We, we know we, people choose to go to hell because they do not accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Right? And last scripture on the radio is, For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes, that, that Greek word there is skribos, which means to write. These were journalists, right? So you had these journalists that were writing a lot in those days, right? The scribes. And then, of course, the Pharisees now stands, when you say somebody's a Pharisee, is somebody who just pretends, somebody who is a hypocrite, somebody who plays holier than thou, somebody who, you know, when they pray, you know, they, 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 it's verbose, it's full, it's, Oh Lord, thou thither, thou who sits upon the circle of the earth, God, who when you step the ocean obeys. You know, going, you know, Christianity is a lot more simpler than that. Right? When Jesus, when the disciples asked Jesus, must, must, you know, John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. Teach us how to pray. What did Jesus say? When you pray, say, Our Father. And the proper, uh, proper Greek Bible says Father. It doesn't say Our Father. It says Father. It doesn't even say Father. It says Dada. The first syllables that come out of the mouth of a toddler as they are attempting to say Father. That's, that's when Jesus said, have the faith of a child. That's the thing. All you got to do is just say, Father. And when you say, Father, you immediately evoke God's parental responsibilities towards you. Enough said. Enough said. Enough said. Enough said. Enough said. Stop trying to add anything else to it. Enough said. Enough said. Enough said. Enough said. Well, my son, who has special needs, was like three years old. All he had to say was look at me and say, Daddy. And I stopped and I put everything down. I didn't make him earn anything. I said, now listen, son. You got to get your theology right. There's a few things I just need to explain. You know, you haven't quite learned what the Wenyika lineage is all about. You still haven't memorized where it is I was born. No, no, that's religion. Tries to make us jump through, and that's what happens. 
You know, you know we, we have acquired a taste for the wrong thing. And so John the Baptist comes on the scenes and says, you know, repent. In other words, turn away from these things. For the kingdom of God is at hand. So when you read Matthew, you know, which Revel delve deeper into this. Jesus starts using parables to kind of break it down and demonstrate and show different facets of what the kingdom of God is like or the kingdom of heaven, right? Next slide. All right, so, so let's talk about what is a parable, you know? What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the reign of God in people's hearts or the realm of sphere of God's sovereignty. You have to ask yourself this question. Does that extend to your heart? Is God sovereign in your heart? Have you handed over the title deeds to your heart over to the Lord? You know, it's one thing. I accept you as my personal savior. Yeah. Okay. And then what? Did you actually hand over the title deeds of your heart to him to say it's yours? You know, when somebody owns the title deeds, it doesn't matter who gets to visit. It doesn't matter who rents. It doesn't matter anything. That house is yours. Am I right, Joe? You own the title deeds. You know, the county can say whatever they want. You own the title deeds. That's the thing. That's what Christianity is about. It's just that simple. You don't have to make it too much of an effort. You just hand the title deeds to your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. He does everything else. You remember the, you remember the story about the prodigal son? So the prodigal son does everything wrong. Just, you know, everything, everything wrong. And now he is eating with the pigs. And finally he comes to the conclusion that, oh man, I am so lost. Right? But the father never gave up. He stood up on a high point, always looking to see if the son was coming back. And the day the prodigal son said, I'm going back home. And all he had to do was turn and face the direction of home. And what did the father do? He's the one that got up from where he was and ran to meet and made up the difference. You don't even have to make an effort. All you got to do is just turn. And he comes down from where he is and runs towards you to grab you. And Philippians 2.13 says what? It is God who is at work in us, both to will, to, accord, to do according to his good pleasure. He gives us the will to do his good pleasure so that we don't try to do it out of our own flesh, so that we don't try to do it out of our own will. Because when I try to do stuff by myself, I'm never going to be able to satisfy God. But when I make myself available to him through the power of his Holy Spirit, he gives me the will to do according to his good pleasure. Even in my darkest moments when I don't know what I am doing and I'm down there, he gives me the will. And if I am deep, deep down, he'll give me the will to will, to will to will according to his good pleasure. He empowers you and enables you and gives you the grace and brings you up and he makes up the difference. All you have to do is just turn. That's what John the Baptist was trying to tell the Pharisees. Repent. Matter now, turn. That's all he was trying to say. You know, it was just that simple. just blew their minds because they were used to making everybody jump through hoops. Just turn. That's all. That's what this generation needs to do. Just turn. And you'll see what God will do in your life. You know, in, in the middle of, you know, I see, you know, people talk about Generation Z, right? You're probably the smartest generation that has ever walked on this planet. You're probably the smartest generation. And you probably, you have more access to knowledge than any other generation in the history of mankind. But also, you are subject to more stimuli 
than any other generation in the history of mankind. People, all kinds of stimuli, you know, grappling for your for the attention. And so you got this, you got this, you got this, you got this. And you've now learned how to, you know, you, you, you've now learned how to multitask, right? You know, you could be sitting in class listening to a lecture. You just answered a text on WhatsApp. You know, you're breaking up with your boyfriend on another platform and you're recovering your password on MySpace. You're doing, oh, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, okay, on Facebook, on Facebook, on Facebook. And you just, you know, you, you just, just kind of got used to that, right? And so there's a lot of busyness, a lot of busyness. And you've come, you've become so good at it, right? That 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 you've crowded out that which is important. It takes us to the first parable, the parable of the saw, right? And also the wheat and the tares. The seed gets crowded out by that which is not conducive to good growth, and you have to be discerning. You have to be discerning. You have to learn to take moments to separate yourself. And, you know, Rev open tonight by saying, just, let's just be silent and just acknowledge Emmanuel, God who is with us. Because without that acknowledgement, nothing we do here is different to anything that anybody else is doing, either at a rock concert or in, you know, or in a Hindu temple. Nothing different. Because that which sets us apart is this, that his presence is with us. Demons can say Jesus is Lord. Not everybody says, Lord, 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 you know. People are going to say that. But what's the difference? His presence is with us. You remember Jesus sent the disciples two by two, right? And he sent them out. <clears throat> and when they came back, what was their testimony that came out of their mouths? Lord, 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 Lord. Even the demons were subject to us in your name. Now what they were saying? They were excited. They had seen stuff. Because Jesus had told them, don't take a handbag, forget your Gucci bags, all that kind of stuff. Don't take any money and don't be afraid. I'll give you what to say and I'll supply all your needs. So they saw all those miracles. But above all, as they did their ministry, they saw Demons running away from them. See, they didn't say, Lord, Lord, your presence just was somewhere just there because God comes to inhabit his people. And, he, and when he does, remember 1 John 4, verse 4, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. He said, Lord, Lord, even the demons were subject to us in your name. That's what separates us from those of the world. There's something on the inside of us that overcomes the spirit of the age, that overcomes the world. That even demons, principalities, powers, the spirit of the age is subject to us in your name. John 1.12, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even unto those who what? Who believed in his name. And the word power there is not the, word, is not the same word that you find in Acts for dunamis. It's the word exousia. It's the word authority. 
It's the word that means legislative authority. So as Christians, we are spiritual legislators. So when we pray and we're exercising vigilance and, and, and we are policing the heavens and when we pray and we pray knowing something, it's like we are spiritual legislators that once we pray, that becomes the law of the land. When we declare it, whatever we bind is bound in it. That becomes the, that's what the power that's, that God gives us. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? And you don't have to have a title to do that. You don't have to be reverend. You don't have to have a degree in theology or whatever. No, you don't have to. So let me give you some testimony. So I'm not going to go on with these slides. Let me give you some testimony. Give me testimony. In my life. Real testimony. 1993, 1993. God with my friend Benjamin, we go to Eastern Highlands in Zimbabwe. <clears throat> and, you know, we'd done a lot of preparations. We were going to have mass crusades. We were going to be preaching, you know, in this one township. And we'd rented one of the municipality, municipal halls. And now, we just need to go send word out. So we're moving from house to house telling them, we're going to be, there's going to be a crusade, there's going to be this, there's going to be this, there's going to be this, there's going to be this. And all of a sudden, this woman comes to us and said, would you come to my house and pray? So we go, you know, just thinking, yeah, we're going to yeah, pray. That's, that's kind of our stuff to do. Well, but except she had a son named Richie who had AIDS, not HIV, AIDS, hadn't walked for months, and was now slim, could not eat. They were pureeing all the food and holding up his head and just pouring food down his throat, just waiting for him to die, right? And so they call us. They go, please pray for my son. Can it just be for, for headache or nosebleed, you know, or something, right? Well, something simple. But, never forget it, Benjamin and I, we went in there, and the gentleman was lying down, and then I remembered what the passage of scripture said. We laid hands on him. He had a, like a throw covering his body, he took the throw, and we commanded him to walk. In Jesus' name. And he didn't. So we pushed his legs over to the side of the bed. So he could step on the floor. Then I'll get up and walk. The mom starts crying. Oh, they're going to finish off my child. They're gonna, we called you to come and pray in order to finish off my child. And then he got up and stood up. Same, right? So he got up and stood up. And so what we did was, we were really struggling to get people to come to our meeting that night. To get them. So we said, Rich, I want you to do something. I want you to come to the service tonight. We're not going to give you a ride. I want you to walk to the service tonight. And when people ask, tell them what happened and invite them. Well, Rich walked from his house to the municipal hall. And people were amazed to see him walk. And he told them about it. 
And that's how we filled the auditorium. So, you know, at the end, we're praying for people, and we ask for anointing oil, right? So, you know, anointing oil, you know, you expect it to be in a little vase, you know, and it's, it's, it's got to have myrrh, it's got to have everything, it's, it's pure olive oil, you know, it's been blessed, you know, but, but I'm talking about Africa here. Talk about poor, poor people. And this woman said, I'll, I'll give you some oil. Went and brings this little saucepan, and it had oil, and I dipped my finger in, smelled of chicken. <laughs> we laid hands on people. God moved. For a moment, spirit of religion tried to stop me from doing what God wanted me to do. Saying, well, well, you know, it's got to have the right proportions. You know, you got to use the, the, the formula from the Old Testament on how to make anointing oil. God will use any of you. I can tell you story after story after story after story. So I propose. I'm getting married. So I'm counting on my Christmas bonus at work. This time I was a youth pastor for church. So I'm counting on my, so, you know, in some jobs they give you a 12th check, right? They give you an extra check for a bonus. So I'm counting on that so, you know, so I can get married, right? I can do my stuff and pay, etc. Well, guess what? The offerings at the end of November were low. December was just terrible. We couldn't make payroll. And so we had, so our policy was, you pay the custodians first, all the way up, and the last person to get paid is the pastor and the pastoral team. Guess what? Couldn't get paid. Dang it. The month I'm supposed to get married. I'm supposed to go pay for the honeymoon, etc., etc. So, never forget it. A friend of mine, we said, let's pray. So we prayed. So I thought, well, you know, I got to pray with some knowledge. I got to know how big my mountain is, at least, right? Let me go get an estimate so I can come back and, you know, put it on the wall and just pray, right? At least I know, God, this is what I'm believing you for. So I go up to the Zambezi uh, tourism group, and it's downtown. And as I'm going up the stairs, you know, I see somebody looking out the window. I'm thinking, eh, you know, so I walk in, and I get to the receptionist, and... I said, hi, my name is so-and-so. Uh, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, about your honeymoon packages. Oh, where are you interested in going? Uh, said, Vumba. While I'm having the discussion, the phone rings, right? And she picks up. She starts talking. Oh, yeah, you're standing right here. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Can you send a memo? Okay, fine. Puts the phone down. Said, are you passed on? I said, yes. Well, my boss just said, whatever it is you walked in here to get, we had to pay for it 100%. Just like that. So I told them. They gave me a voucher. And I walked out. I'm still penniless. But God has met my needs. But I'm still, at that point, I'm still penniless. Couldn't afford a sandwich for lunch. But God has met my needs. I can tell you, 
but a miracle after a miracle after a miracle. You know why? Because God will do it. But you know, if you've never been in a place where you've needed God, you know, we live in a country of plenty and abundance. So we have developed a taste for certain things. That when God nudges you to believe for bigger things, we're so complacent in our faith. Because that's what religion does. Religion is like, it's like driving your car with your emergency brake on. You know, something stinks, but you're in denial. You're just going, you know. I mean, you know. You know, you're just in denial, you know, then you step on it. It's not moving fast. You're just in denial because, you know, no light's coming on, but wait a minute. There's that light or something is misfunctioning. You're just in denial. Then when you take it off, then you go, and then you don't bring something. Kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven. Imagine what heaven is like and ask yourself this question. Is anything impossible in heaven? And then, if, if you are a child of the kingdom, the same kingdom, why should there be things that are impossible here? Last story I'll tell you. I landed in Tulsa in two, the year 2000 with a wife, two-year-old child, and all we had in our pockets was $2,000. Didn't have nothing. So... Rented an apartment. I had no credit. I didn't even know that being in debt was something that was desirable. And I didn't have any credit. So we have to pay first month and last month's rent. In those days, you know, we had, you know, I had to go pay 250 deposit to PSO for electricity. You know, I got to do this for water. You know, when, when I was finished... Uh, and, I, and I had to pay $250 to Southwestern Bell, which was the landline. So that was the thing I did the next day. Then I had $11 left in my pocket, and I went to, Ar I went to Arvis Bank in Walmart on 71st and Lewis and opened a bank account and went home. There were no lights, no blankets. We slept on the floor. Nothing. But nothing. Just nothing. As a man, I got up and I walked. I started praying. I went and I saw Walmart. I saw how big Walmart was. And I saw all these aisles of dog food. And I said, if this country has this much food for their pets, they've got enough food for me. Pray. Now, you got to remember this. Remember this. Remember this. I just had a telephone connected. I don't even know the number to my phone. I don't even know whether you dial all the digits or you drop the zero. What? I have no idea. I got home, the phone rang. And, by the way, at that time, too, I'd gone to Oral Roberts to see how much, you know, they, they, they wanted 19000 from me up front. I said, I don't have 19000 I don't have money to pay. Go home, the phone rings, Rev. The phone rings. I don't even know my own phone number. I picked up the phone. A gentleman named Ben Ward. Ben Ward said, hey, I'm looking for a registrar. I said, Yes, that's me. Oh, Regis, my name is Ben Ward. My father's name is Bill Ward. Uh, my father's been looking for you. Looking for me. Yeah, hold on, he's right here. Is that Reggie? Yes, this is Reggie. I've been looking for you for two years. Looking for me for two years? Yeah. Oh, you don't remember me. Two years ago, I was visiting Zimbabwe. 
and my niece died and I had to come back and cut my trip short and I was stuck at the airport and you came and you took me, you entertained me for the day and then brought me back at seven at night for my flight. Do you remember? I said, oh yeah, I remember that. I said, I've been looking for you since then. What are you doing here? Well, this is what I've been doing. And I said, oh, you need money for fees? I said, yeah. I said, okay, I'll pay all your fees. That's how I managed to go to all Roberts University. That's how I managed. Just like that. So when you read my doctorate dissertation, I dedicated to Dr. Bill Ward. Why? The kingdom of God is at hand. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that even in these simple moments, you remind us of eternal truths, truths that are transforming and truths that are real. Father, as, as we are here in this moment right now, we believe you're doing a profound work on the inside of us. You're stirring our minds. You're stirring our hearts. You're causing us to realign our thinking and our affections and our loves towards you and your agenda for the kingdom of God. At this moment, Father, we choose to yield to the power of your Holy Spirit. And at this moment, Father, we declare that you're not only Lord of this world, but you are Lord in our minds and in our hearts. Do your most profound work through us. And despite us, in spite of us, use us mightily in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rev.